Scott Wino Weinrich has been in a lot of bands over the years, St. Vitus, Spirit Caravan, and Shrine Builder, to name a few. However, he is currently leading the revived version of The Obsessed, who are releasing their new album, Sacred, on Relapse Records on April 7th. It's truly an honor to have one of the legends of not only doom metal, but of our area's metal scene with me on the phone today. To start things off, Wino, can you tell me why you think the time is right for The Obsessed to release Sacred, the band's first album in 23 years? Now, I've done some reunion shows over the years, and I've been asked to do quite a few, but nothing really felt right until me and Brian Costantino reconnected after 30 years. When we first met, he was our friend and our drummer's tech, and he helped us drive and on the road and stuff. Now, after the original Obsessed folded way back when, I didn't see him for 30 years. In that interim, he learned how to play drums quite proficiently, I will add, and through one weird circumstance or another, we got a chance to jam, and when we got a chance to jam, the magic happened, and that's when the Obsessed was truly reborn, because finally, the chemistry is just perfect. So really, the fact that me and Brian reconnected is really fucking amazing, and so I um, feel completely re-energized and very inspired. Is there a reason you decided to go with Relapse to release Sacred? They offered us a really kick-ass deal. We got a really, really good deal from them. All the people at Relapse now are completely behind us. A lot of fans, a lot of friends, and they offered us a slam a deal, and they have treated us wonderfully. I'm totally, totally satisfied with the deal, and I'm very excited. To top off this release with Sacred, they're also re-releasing the first success record, the self-titled, in a couple of months. And we put together a slamming package, man, all this cool live stuff, some demos, and a bunch of really cool pictures and stuff. I'm really happy with the label. So how do you think the band's sound has changed since the release of The Church Within in 1994? Well, to be honest with you, I think that Sacred is actually the best-sounding record that I've ever done in my career, thanks to Frank Marchand. He's also known locally as the Punisher for his live sound work and stuff. But believe it or not, the record is all digital. And I think that Frank has an amazing command of the digital realm, but also the digital realm has increased to where it's just phenomenal now. It's a combination of the old and the new because the whole record was recorded digitally, but we used a whole crazy lot of really cool old vintage equipment. Like Frank had in his studio had an arsenal of old Les Pauls. I mean, it was like an orgy of Les Pauls, man. And then he also had like all these killer old like boxes and boxes of vintage fuzz pedals and vintage specs pedals. He had a vintage rotating speaker and not to mention the drums. He had so many cool vintage snare drums. We picked a snare drum basically for each sound for the vibe. It was pretty amazing. I saw you had that EGC guitar you pulled out with the aluminum neck in a few shows. Did you use that on Sacred at all? I did use that quite a bit on Sacred, actually. Not only one of my favorite guitars, but it's also my go-to guitar. That guitar is just nothing short of amazing. It's completely aluminum all the way. It's neck through. That was given to me as a gift for some production work I did with my friends from Tennessee in a band called Navajo Witch. And I must say, that's absolutely one of the finest gifts that I could have ever received. I love that guitar. It's my go-to guitar. That guitar has what I call a slutty neck. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, I really like thin necks as far as, like, the depth goes. It's got a radial neck, actually. It changes a little bit as it goes along, but I'd say that guitar is perfect. That guitar I nicknamed Heavy Mama because it's actually it's broader and heavier than an actual real Les Paul. So I call that guitar Heavy Mama. <laughs> Now, I know The Obsessed has gone through a lot of lineup change recently. What exactly is the lineup on Sacred, and is that also the band's current lineup? No, God, I'll, let me tell you what's happening to dispel any confusion. Okay, we were doing Spirit Caravan for a minute, 
know, a year or two ago. And after we dissolved Spirit Caravan, that's when me and Brian reconnected, and we decided to call the band The Obsessed, okay? So Dave Sherman brought his gear over, and basically that was the lineup that we did for The Obsessed. It was me, Dave Sherman on bass, and Brian Costantino on drums. Okay, so that was the lineup on Sacred, me, Brian, and Dave, right? And then, okay, due to one reason or another, there's some, some issues in the studio and also some issues live. We decided to part ways with Dave Sherman. So then I tried a little experiment where I re-enlisted the help of Bruce Falkenberg, the bass player from The Hidden Hand, and my fiancé at the time, Sarah Seraphim, on bass and second guitar, respectively. And it was actually a pretty cool. We did four or five shows that I thought were pretty fucking good. But when the touring commitment came up and the reality of what a rock and roll band really is, people showed their true colors pretty quick. And when Bruce asked us to replace him, Sarah left. So basically, I then called my old friend Reed Rayleigh, which is what I should have done in the first place because he's a true road warrior and a great musician. And I'm telling you what, the chemistry right now is fantastic. The band is me, Brian Cosentino, and Reed Rayleigh, and that's the way it's going to stay. This is absolutely, in my opinion, the best lineup of the obsessed ever, the best chemistry. And, man, I'm telling you what, I'm fucking feeling psyched. That's great, man. So who was on the album then exactly? The album was me, Brian, and Dave Sherman. Okay, cool. But we parted ways with Dave and did our little experiment with the four-piece, but now we're back to the three-piece with me, Brian, and Reed Rayleigh. And Reed Rayleigh played bass in a band called Wake from Arkansas, and he played in a band called Dead Bird. But then he also played with me in 2013, and we did like four or five shows. We played Maryland Death Fest. We played Power of the Riff in L.A. We played a couple of Scion showcase shows and another club show in L.A. So me and Reed actually have some history, but he's a fantastic bass player. Okay, thanks for clarifying that for me. One other question That's I have with the lineups is now that Dave Sherman is gone, are you guys still going to play any of the Spirit Caravan songs live, or are you just going to stick to the obsessed material? We will eventually probably be working in some of the Spirit Caravan material because one thing I want to point out is when the obsessed was signed to Columbia Records in the 90s and we did Search Within, we never got our second record. But the songs that were going to be on the second obsessed record were the songs that were the bulk of the material that became Dreadful of Sun. Lost Sundance, Melancholy Gray, Fears Machine, No Hope Go Farm, those were all obsessed songs because of the fact that we didn't get our second record, you know, with Columbia, that when I put Spirit Cavern together, those songs kind of folded over. So we'll be working those songs into the mix. Right now what we're doing is our live set coming up in April, we're going to be playing about an hour and 15 minutes. And we're playing like seven new songs off the new record and then the rest is old stuff. But you can definitely count on some Spirit Caravan stuff. I mean... We're going to be doing, eventually, eventually we're going to be doing Brainwashed, Lost Sundance, Dump Tongue Aggressor, and some stuff like that. The Obsessed formed in the D.C. area in the early 80s, and I'm really curious, what was it like being in a metal band, particularly a doom, stonery kind of metal band at the time when D.C.'s music scene was really dominated by the rise of the DIY punk scene? Well, it's an interesting and good question. Right at that time that I had gone down to this little club in D.C. called Beneath It All, and pitched the manager there, he was like an outlaw biker, pitched him on The Obsessed, and so we were down in this little hole in the wall in D.C. playing three sets a night, okay? Now, during that time, that's when I met Sab Gray from Iron Cross, John Stab from Government Issue, Ian Mackay, and Henry Rods would all come down to see us. They loved our originals, but they hated the fact that we were doing punk covers, but I tried to explain to them, we had to play three 45-minute sets a night, so, you know, we were throwing in a couple of our favorite Dead Boy songs and shit like that to try to make up the time. The bottom line is, straight up, we had to prove ourselves. 
We had several high-profile gigs for the Obsessed. Actually, we supported the Dead Boys on their first reunion tour in, in D.C. We supported the Bad Brains in the heyday of the Green War tape. And you know what, man? We really had to prove ourselves, but I think we did. I can remember one standout moment for me is when there was this punk rock hipster bar in D.C. in those days called Carmichael's. And so there was a guy who ran a record store in town. He was a punk rock kid, but he also came from a metal background. And me and him connected because he heard my song Concrete Cancer on Metal Master 6, and he said, oh, man, that song reminds me of Captain Beyond. So me and him struck up a friendship, and he was in a band called Lethal Intent. His name was Doug Caldwell. Unfortunately, he's passed away. But Doug would always call me up to get the obsessed on punk rock shows. And so on any given day, we were supporting The Exploited. I remember one time Dave Grohl's band, Mission Impossible, supported us when they were like all skinhead kids. We played with Faith. We played with Scream a lot. But I remember like on this one occasion, we were at this club called Carmichael's playing a gig. We were supporting Iron Cross and the PA sales. So instead of stopping or crying, I just said, fuck it, let's go. And I just screamed out the words, no PA, as we just stepped everything up a notch a little bit pretty fast. That's when, you know, the singer for Iron Cross came up to me and said, okay, that's when I knew you guys were real. So we definitely had to prove ourselves. You know, the way I looked back then, I had more of a death glam kind of look. At a given time, I would be called Eddie Van Halen or take some shit. But I tell you what, man, I was there for the music. And if somebody got in my face, I was ready to fight. No problem. <laughs> Now, I have heard a rumor that it was none other than Ian Mackay of Minor Threat and Fugazi fame that put you in contact with the guys in St. Vitus. Is that true? Did he actually introduce you to that band? He didn't actually introduce me to the band, but he did mention them to me and put the seat in my head. And so when they came through and played a little club called DC Space, I went down to meet them, and that sort of did set the ball in motion a little bit. There were some other circumstances, but yeah. Ian Mackay was very instrumental. He told me straight up, he goes... There's this band on SST called Invitus, you'd love them. You know, eventually I joined him. Ian McKay was the first person to ever use the term crossover. I remember he used to work at a record store called Yesterday and Today, and I used to go next door to get my hair cut all funky from this foxy-ass haircutter chick, and then I'd have a couple of brews, probably, and then I'd go next door to the record store, you know, and Ian'd be in there working, and the obsessed first record had just come out, and he said to me, he goes, man, you guys are really crossing over. He said to me, being a vegan, he goes, man, Forever Midnight, man, that song's the meat and potatoes. Coming from Ian McCoy, to me, that was like the ultimate fucking honor. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Man, I love that guy. I see him regularly. He's a fantastic person. Ian McCoy, I'll tell you right now, has never wavered from his ideals once. Never once. All these other bands, you know, all these other people, I've seen them all falter, but you know what? Ian McCoy has never wavered from his core principles once, and I have nothing but ultimate respect for him so this is in a different direction but is there any chance of any kind of shrine builder reunion at any point do you think maybe new material or even just some live shows i told al and i also told scott kelly that i would always be up for it if they want it's really up to them there's a little bit of um uh there's a little bit of bad blood that happened there for a minute stupidly enough over money the one thing that i don't really have much tolerance for like arrogance or greed. And I kind of think that with Shrine Builder, I think that the desire to put money in one's pocket kind of overruled what I thought should be the real core ethics of that band. But that said, I told both of those cats that I'm willing to do it if they are. Back around 2010, I was actually going through some really tough times, and your studio album, Adrift, actually really helped me a lot during a low point in my life. So I'd like to say thank you for that. You thank you any? very much. I appreciate that. It, it meant a lot to me, actually. Do you have any plans for any future solo releases? 
actually, my main focus was totally on the Obsessed right now. I'm not in any of the bands or anything. I'm not in St. Vice or either. But I have been working on some acoustic stuff. I've actually got about four or five songs, and uh, hopefully, in less than a year, I would like to do another acoustic record, actually, yeah. Hopefully on Relapse, but we'll see. Hey, listen, thank you very much for that, though. I mean, that's, to me, that was a very troubled point in my life, too. And Drift was kind of me really letting off steam from some problems I was having. And it's way more rewarding to me to hear somebody say that the music helped them through than, you know, a bag of cash on the table, you know what I mean? So I'm glad it helped you. Yeah, it really did. Now, in 2004, another DC area guy had you guest on an album with him. You were on Dave Grohl's Probot album on the song The Emerald Law. How exactly did that collaboration come about, and did you know Dave already? Yeah, I knew Dave already, and like I said before, like back in the early days, Dave was in this killer punk rock band called Mission Impossible, and we used to refer to Dave as the kid. Everybody knew that the kid was the premier fucking drummer, and he was fantastic, man. But anyways... Fear Caravan, I was on tour in Europe, and I got a call from my wife at the time, and she said, listen, you know, Dave Grohl's people just got in touch with me, they're looking for you, he sent some music to you, he wants you to do something. So when I got back into town, I got the rough tracks for The Emerald Law. Okay, it wasn't titled, it was just the music, it was a basic track, it had a guitar track, drums, and bass, and basically then I talked to David, and he said, I'm doing a record with all my heroes, and let me tell you, I was very, very honored to be considered that, and to be considered for the record. And I listened to the song, it was right up my alley. And he said he wanted me to title it, write words for it, sing it, and play some lead. So basically, at the time, I was deep into my research. I was really getting into some esoteric stuff about the Emerald Tablets of Thoth and stuff. So basically, I put together the words and stuff, and um, we were going to do it at David's house. It was his studio, but he'd left his studio machine on while he went on tour for six months by accident, so burned it out. So he said, hey, let's meet it in your ear. The Discord studio of legend, you know, where everybody recorded all their shit, you know, all the DC bands. David came down with his producer friend, and basically, I showed him the lyrics that I'd written for the song and entitled The Emma Law, and he liked it. So I sang it, and um, came down to play the solo, and he was standing in the control room just going, more, more, like that one part of Emma Law, I just hold that shrieking note, you know. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, totally enthusiastic, right? But at the end of the song, there was just something missing at the beginning. So I suddenly realized, what I say at the very beginning of the song, the speaking things, I do not die, but awaken to the dream I live. That is actually real ancient Babylonian that was transferred from cuneiform by Zechariah Sitkin. I was reading a book by Zechariah Sitkin, one of the few people who could actually translate and read cuneiform, which is Babylonian writing on stones. So that's an actual ancient Babylonian verse there that just fits so perfectly at the beginning. I get chills when I think about it, man. So I was overjoyed to do that, too, and honored. I really was. So do you have any plans to tour or at least play in the D.C. area to support Sacred coming up? Yes, we start our tour on April 12th, and we're going to go from coast to coast. And on the way back in May, we are playing in Baltimore. On the 20th, we're going to be in Baltimore. But we're also doing a listening party for Sacred, and I'm going to play a short acoustic set up in Philadelphia on the day after the release, on Saturday, April 8th, at Kung Fu Necktie, where there's going to be a DJ, and then we're going to listen to Sacred in its entirety, and we'll have a bunch of records to sell to, the new record and all, and then I'm going to play acoustic guitar for 20 or 30 minutes, and then we take off on our tour. So are there any bands from, like, the D.C. area or this kind of region, maybe D.C., Baltimore, Virginia area, that you're a fan of? I really like that band, Cavern like a local band from Fermont called Faith and Jane. I like them a lot. Of course, I really like Clutch. 
I've gone through just about all my questions here, and I do thank you for your time. I do appreciate it. And I've been running this DC-based metal site for about seven, seven and a half years now. And you're one of the guys I've always really wanted to interview on here. You really are one of the legends of our metal scene. It's really cool to say that you're from our area. So one other thing, is there anything else you'd really like to say to the fans about this new album, Sacred, that The Obsessed is releasing on April 7th? Well, I would like to say, you know, thanks very much to everybody who believes and who supported not only my career, but you know, this style of music. And I want to thank you, man, for carrying the torch. I mean, it's a, it's a really beautiful thing. All right, well, thanks a lot for your time. It's really been an honor, so thank you a lot. All right, man, it was a fun interview, man. Thank you. All right, have a good one. Bye.